to a new episode of the Evolving Media Podcast. The podcast series where we try to make sense of all the changes in the media landscape and how we as producers can adapt and thrive in an ever-changing world. Now, if you find this series interesting, please consider rating it, sharing it, commenting on it and subscribing to it. It all helps. Now, today I'll be talking to Lucy McRae, science fiction artist, filmmaker, innovator and body architect. She's been working on exploring what it'll mean to be human in the future, how technology forces us to redefine who we are and what we can be, and what innovations are needed for us to positively affect the trajectory that we're all on. What we're going to talk about today is her work, how she sees the future of mankind and its increasing fusion with technology, and what this will mean for creators and storytellers around the world. My apologies for the slightly scrappy connection. It's all my fault. I was doing this interview out at the summer house and my Wi-Fi connection wasn't the best in the world. Hopefully you'll be able to enjoy this episode anyway. So, Lucy, I'm yeah. so happy to have you on this podcast. You've been, I've been following your your experiments, your projects, your career for some time ever since we met back in back in the day back in the days in Switzerland, I believe. And and you've always been doing fascinating stuff. So, uh, but first off, you need to tell me just so I just so the listeners can know what you are on about. What is a body architect? <laughs> A body architect, uh, it's actually a a fabricated job description that myself and a colleague came up with to win a job. I was put forward for a position to run Philips Design, the consumer electronics company back in the day, their far future design research lab. And I have a background in classical ballet, architecture, fashion, and had done graphic design and went for this meeting to run this department and it was clear that I needed to describe myself. Was I a product designer, communication designer, medical expert? And so I didn't get the job, I walked away. And my um, boss at the time, Clive, who was running this Far Future Design Research Lab, said, right, let's come around and um, we'll have a discussion about what you are. And so we laid everything out on the table and we came up with Body Architect. The following week, I went back to Phillips, knocked on the door and told him, I've come back to tell you who I am, sat down, I'm a body architect. The contract was slid across the table. And then for the next four years, I was developing wearable electronics, dresses that blushed with light electronic tattoos and so a body architect is a it's a platform that allows me to make television installation product design um teach talk run workshops so it's it's really um yeah this opportunity to not have to specialize in one thing like a, a smorgasbord of opportunities basically it sounds like at least yeah (laughs) wonderful this podcast is a lot about uh, how we, as producers and creators in the media sphere, can can learn from new possibilities, new technologies, new new habits, new everything. How the media world is evolving and what we can learn from it, and how we can learn to 
to adapt and to thrive with, with new possibilities. And I think, I mean, just reading your webpage where it says that what you are doing, you're exploring the slipperiness of where science and technology meets the body. It feels like that is a really exciting sphere to be in because there's so much happening there mm. right now. I, yeah, I love, <laughs> um, I guess, you know, it's rapidly changing this landscape of, of science and technology. There's a very smart professor, Professor Ed Boyden, who um, runs the neurobiology lab at MIT, and he's developed with his team this technology called optogenetics, which in very simple terms treats the brain like a radio and is able to refashion major chunks of our senses through light and electricity and we're able to trigger pleasure erase memory and as a as an artist the concept of light being able to change the way that we experience the world seems so spatial to me it seems it seems unfathomable but if you begin to wrap story or project that 10, 15, 100 years down um, down the line, then you can start to speculate on how technologies like optogenetics will change the role of architecture, will change the way that we design spaces. And, and ultimately, um, the question is, how is technology you know, interfacing with the body and changing fundamentally who we are as, as human beings? In a sense, that sounds positively terrifying. Uh, at, at the same time, where possibilities are, feel endless. I mean, you can, if you can design a building to have a soothing influence on the inhabitants of that building, that, that would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, if you can design a building that guarantees people will sleep, who is not want to go and lay down in there every night? Um, and And I think the kind of my left arm is rolling around in a circle, but that there's also, you know, the the consequences our technology are that we are forever connected. We're basically gorging on technology the whole time. And the other side of um, the work that I do, all the research is about isolation, detachment, physicalizing technology and moving us away from being constantly connected to you know, the broken bonds that we have with ourselves and with, with our um, community, the, the rest of the world, because of the re- result of technology. And uh, there's a project that I've um, recently completed that's on show at the Milan uh, Triennale, which is called Broken Nature, Paolo Antonelli curated show. And I've created a compression cradle, which is an interactive artwork. You lay down and you machine 360 degrees and this sort of um, been developing for about six years these membranes around the body uh, but what is happening on a I guess on a hormone level or a physiological level is when you hug someone you when you have sex when you breastfeed when you go into labor you release hormone called oxytocin Oxytocin is a, it's a, it's an unusual or it's a curious hormone or molecule that, um, you know, we understand is responsible for us building relationships and trust between others. And also, I, mean, I saw your experiment or the project you had with the with the compression cradle, and I think it's fascinating because the things that you talk about, sex and love and and hugging, obviously are are the cornerstones of a lot of of stories we tell each other. 
But how will that change when the human body and its interaction with technology changes? Where, where, where do where do stories begin and end in the future? Do you have- yeah, I love. I mean, I've I've recently written um, a film idea proposal around how you know we live in this era bound by fear and you know if a machine can assist in the natural release of a hormone that builds trust is this what we need in the future <laughs> will we actually need to rely on or will technology or machines vie for our intimacy i think it's important to say that you know i've never been interested in the tropes of the cyborg or um the kind of the masculine um aesthetics of science fiction i'm really interested in bringing a feminine visceral elastic um aesthetic technology that you know sort of turns it on its head and um you know, how technology is changing the cornerstones of what it is that makes us human you know the way that we love um the way that we behave i think you know there's a lot of questioning around um wanting to make perfection genetic engineering crispr technology um perhaps i don't know for, for those who aren't aware of crispr technology in simple terms again if you imagine a pair of molecular scissors and you can go in and cut out a strand of dna that is faulty imperfect you can delete it you can replace it and you can upgrade it so you can put in something that is perfect something that is taller more beautiful more intelligent and human biology here um and so in this quest for removing imperfection i believe that what can are our weaknesses are the failures are the mistakes because because of the those um weaknesses we we progress we transform and we grow i agree fully i mean what i also one one quote that i read from your website that, that really struck me as profound was that that we, we're going to have to have a revolution of what it means to be human right are we are we evolving according yeah. to how evolution has done things for the past millions and millions and untold millions of years or are we going to do something else in the future yeah i'd i'd love to take the credit for that quote but that is from a very smart um man and friend called Danny Hillis and he he's um interviewed on i think it's Vim Vendor's uh documentary Lo and Behold about the internet and he said that in that uh in that documentary and it really it really got me thinking Now one thing that you've been working on is also is edible technology. Mm. From a storytelling perspective, I think I I've seen quite a few projects where as part of the you know if you could talk about the transmedia world or whatever the world of the story, edibles have been one way of conveying emotions that couldn't have been conveyed otherwise. I'm thinking of, thinking of things like the if you remember the Game of Thrones, the food truck the food trucks that drove around the US and 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 served fruit food from Westeros you know stuff like this so edible stuff is what's your experience with it and the the way that that um art project essentially what it is that the way that this concept came about was various different things in in my in front of me were were unknowns 
What happens, which is happening now, when technology gets so small that we eat it? What does it do once it enters our body? Do we become the technology once it's inside of us? And at the same time of sort of questioning the, the shrinking of technology, that then uh, questions, you know, what the gap between science fiction and, and science reality is getting so much smaller. And the other thing that I really like doing is disrupting markets, disrupting business um, with imagining how technology will play out. And at the time that I made this, which was 2011, the beauty market in the US alone was worth $465 billion. It had never um, experienced a disruptive um, technology had not yet disrupted that market. And I would argue now that it possibly still hasn't been disrupted to the point or the level that I I think it should be. And so I was interested in smell and pheromone release and that um, the healthiest babies come from opposite immune systems that, you know, if you strip away uh, all of the ways that we cover up our, our scent as animals, we find our sexual partners through smell. I met a very smart man, um, Sharif Mansi, who I was introduced to through Sasha Poflep, who is an incredibly smart man. Um, And I said to Sharif, are we able to manipulate our immune system? Because the the scent of our body odor is the smell of our immune system oxidizing through our skin. And so if we can manipulate that, tweak it, we can then change the, the smell of our body odor. If we can change the smell of our body odor, will that change the way that we would mate if we change the way that we mate, how will that change the course of evolution? Could we imagine that the beauty industry be responsible for steering human evolution? So these are very sort of, um, you know, long bows connecting things together. But I um, I released the the film, the trailer, the news channels, followed by receiving, you know, highly detailed PowerPoint presentations from pharmaceutical industries wanting to release the product exclusively in their country. They wanted to be the first to um, present this innovation because perfume had never, um, you know, this was turning perfume on its head. There's no bottle. You, the body becomes the atomizer. Mm. And so, and following that, um, these, these, you know, interests from the pharmaceutical industry. Finally, which I think was the most interesting part of the project, were heartfelt emails from people who suffered hyperhidrosis, which is a compulsive sweating disorder. And they explained how there was no medical cure at the time. It was embarrassing. It was emotional. They couldn't, you know, it was a really um, yeah. destabilizing condition and that swallowable perfume would change the way that they would behave in the world. And I think that, you know, if technology can transform somebody's life in a positive way, then if that can exist, then what other technologies could exist alongside these kinds of concepts? Yeah, we talk a lot about in the media, a lot about the platforms, like what platforms will you be using? Will you be, you know, what platforms will you use for your 
transmedia world building or whatever. But it seems like the human body is the is the ultimate platform to build on. Yeah, yeah. This is that it's um that's exactly our premise when we were the the department the probes um, team which was the department at Philips back in 2006. And I was working with a team of um, designers, engineers, fashion designers, lighting designers, product designers who were pioneering wearable technology back in the day. And I, and I would argue that they were one of the first to to create wearable tech. They, they started in 2002. Can people be forced to use their bodies at, as platforms? At, at some point... I mean, even the people who are the most opposed to mobile phones back in the days still use a mobile phone today. Most of them, at least, or at least, mm-hmm. might, you know, will be will we move into a stage where where you can where the pressure is so high on you to 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 utilize your body in new ways that that you haven't that that you feel forced to do it. I think that. You know, I'm always interested in the undercurrent or the, you know, the underdog or the fringes of culture. And I think that already there's backlash, you know, people are escaping, permanently removing them, themselves from realities. And um, I'm reading this book, uh, The Death of the Gods. It's talking about power corporations um, and the flip side of that. Um, so I, I think that, you know, sure, we can't you could become a, a cave a cave person not respond digitally and you could live a certain kind of life you can isolate yourself in the, on on an island um which i think is one of the most productive ways to work in isolation um you know it comes down to a choice and and also to be strong enough to say no and If you are saying no, then I think that you are innovating a new way of living. And could that become something even more meaningful than following the line of what's expected? That's a very sort of abstract um, response to will we have will, will we have a choice? But but I you know I believe that I don't know limitations. With limitation, you have to be very, very creative, and so we are faced with so many options. <laughs> like the, even, you know, playing music, it's like, where do I want to start? I, I don't even know where to start. What kind of, what do I want to listen to? What kind of atmosphere do I want to be in? And so, it's interesting to think about how do we say no in the world of technology? Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's something that people have a really difficult time of deciding when to say no and to then track to track back on your promises or what you've been doing is or what you've been allowing is isn't always the the easiest thing to do but Uh, one one final question lucy um yeah as a storyteller where should one because this these are exciting fields to explore this is stuff that can inspire you to a lot of new thinking So where to start? What what kind of wish? What should you try to to start to 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 look at? I think it's for me. It starts with curiosity or something that I don't know the answer to. I'm like, hmm, okay, the, I'm I'm interested in this. I have no idea what that looks like. What does genetic engineering look like? What does it mean when I can, you know, 
deliberately modify life in utero? I don't know. And so I want to know more about something that I don't know about and I want to be able to turn it into something tangible, whether it's a music video, you know, a a film, an installation. And so for me, it's about this drive to – I'm not interested in in, um, solutions. What I'm doing is is far away from solutions. The most important thing is that we ask the right questions and I think that – Asking the right questions can be driven by a curiosity to want to know where we are headed. And and this is sort of, as a storyteller, I'm trying to understand who we are, how that is changing and where we are headed. Thank you very much, Lucy, for this super interesting talk. And I, I <laughs> hope you get the time to be on the podcast at some point in the future. Thanks for having me. Oh.